tell me first who you are and about the National UFO Reporting Center. I'm Peter Davenport, and I'm the director of the National UFO Reporting Center, which has been in the state of Washington for the last 45 years, since October of 1974. I was given the reins to the center by Mr. Bob Gribble, its founder, in uh, August of 1994, after he'd run it for 20 years, and what the... National UFO Reporting Center and its associated UFO hotline do is provide a place where people who believe that they may have just witnessed a UFO may call and where the information is stored, preserved, and made available publicly, albeit anonymously. That's, that, in a nutshell, is what we do. And who funds the National UFO Reporting Center? Principally, it is I who does that. It comes out of my pocket. I do this as a service to the American people and to Canadians and people around the world, no matter where they live. And your interest in UFOs, how did that start? I think my first interest was sparked in 1954, I believe the year was. I was six and a half years of age, and I was at a drive-in theater on the south side of the St. Louis, Missouri airport where my father worked. And my mother, my brother, and I were watching a drive-in movie at this theater, watching a movie at the drive-in theater, and suddenly a disturbance started brewing in the theater. People were running and shouting and pointing and we didn't know what, at first, we didn't know what the problem was. We thought it was a maybe a fight or a fire or somebody was injured or ill. Right. And then I looked off to the right, and I saw an object approximately the color of a fire engine. Its apparent size from my vantage point was approximately equal to that of a full moon. Although it was shaped like a football, it was uh, like what's called a prolate spheroid in mathematics. And I looked at it out the side window of our car, and suddenly the object accelerated. After a few seconds of my having watched it, it accelerated from almost a dead stop to an incredible velocity, and it went from my far right to my quartering left, and it followed a sigmoid or a curve-shaped pathway across the sky. It went behind the movie screen, and it disappeared over McDonnell Aircraft Corporation, and it went from my far right to gone over the horizon to my quartering left in about two seconds. Was there... That was uh, my, so far as I am aware, my first sighting, and uh, I've been captivated by the subject of UFOs ever since. Did was was there any investigation into what you saw that night? I don't know. I was six and a half years of age. Did your parents ever talk about it again? They did, but they it scared them a bit. My father was in the tower on the north side of the airport, the opposite side from us, and he and the tower operators 
were looking at this object with binoculars, we later learned when we picked him up that evening. And he had no explanation for it. It sort of scared my mother. And my brother, now a retired physician, remembers it somewhat, but not as clearly as I do for some reason. And it didn't frighten you? Oh, no, I was six and a half years of age. It's hard to frighten a six and a half year old. Are you current? Are you frightened at all of them now? I'm a little concerned about what they might be doing on our planet. Uh, for example, uh, we have a government that has made the decision, apparently, to shield the American people from what it knows about UFOs. That alarms me profoundly. Those and why? Public servants have a sworn responsibility and loyalty to the American people. The fact that, and on some occasions I've accused them of lying uh, in fits of pique, uh, I'm going to do that again. I think they're lying to us, and I want to know why. <clears throat> Were you, you, what year did you take over the National Reporting Center? In August of 1994. So you were there during the Phoenix flights? Yes. I think <laughs> the National UFO Reporting Center was one of the first, if not the first, organization to take reports uh, from actual eyewitnesses. And they, they started coming in within minutes of the beginning of that event, which lasted approximately two, maybe two and a half hours. Do you think it was two separate events, like they are, they report now? Well, many things happened that night. I can't categorize them into two categories. There were, we think it, we know there were at least five very, very large craft. We can talk about their size in a minute, and possibly a sixth one, uh, maybe more. We don't know the everything about that event. It was so complex. And uh, So you don't think it was one giant no. like craft that moved over? No. You think it was all separate, separate crafts? No. No, it was several, I believe, several craft. And I make that statement thanks, I'm able to make it thanks to the fine investigative work of Dr. Michael Tanner, the late Dr. Michael Tanner now, and Mr. Jim Delatoso, who spent months going to the actual location where various eyewitnesses were had been located during the event and had them recreate by pointing their finger where the objects, object or objects they saw passed across the sky. And predicated on that very fine work, um, we now know that there were at least five. There may have been five triangular or chevron-shaped craft and one very large disc. We don't now, know. I haven't read much about the disc. I've only heard about the chevron style. Yeah. yeah. Where was the disc sighted? It was sighted west of Phoenix somewhere, going west at very high speed. But the details of it, I don't know. Now, why just over Phoenix? Wouldn't it have continued its travels and went over uh, New Mexico and Arizona? And I mean, sorry. Talk, you'd have to talk to the presumed occupants of those craft. 
to be able to answer that question. And <clears throat> I've not been able to do that, of course. Now, you 100% believe that was unidentified flying objects from a different galaxy. Yeah, for reasons I'll describe in a moment, but they, I'm convinced that, or I believe that the Phoenix Lights event of March 13, 1997, Thursday night, is probably the most dramatic and well-documented, by eyewitnesses anyway, well-documented UFO event in the history of modern ufology. And we have reason to believe, and you can read this in a book by Bill Hamilton entitled The Phoenix Lights, we have reason to believe that the government was so shaken by this incident that they elevated the uh, defense condition from DEFCON 5 to DEFCON 3 in one step, and they activated the military and intelligence organizations probably around the world as a result of this incident. And moreover, I have reason to suspect, absent proof, I have reason to suspect that President Bill Clinton injured his knee perhaps as a an indirect result of the Phoenix Lights event. That was the same night that he injured his knee while he was spending the night at the home of the professional golfer from Australia, uh, Norman, Greg Norman. And uh, President Clinton had flown that morning, that Thursday morning, down to Miami, I think it was, or Orlando, and spent, had spent the day golfing with Greg Norman. And that night is when he was rushed to his waiting aircraft and flown back to Washington, D.C., allegedly to undergo surgery for damaged uh, ligaments in his knee. But I think it's reasonably, it's reasonable to ask whether he might have possibly been injured when he was being evacuated as a result of declaration of DEFCON 3, or whether he might have been, uh, it might have been a ruse to get him back to Washington, D.C., or somewhere, presumably underground, to oversee the defense of the United States in response to um, a, an apparent alien incursion into our airspace that we didn't fully understand at the time. Do we understand it now? No. We don't mm -hmm. understand very much at all about the alien, apparent alien presence on our planet. We have no idea where they're from. We have no idea what they're doing here. What would the, how would the government benefit from hiding this information from the US, the public. How are they what? How are they benefiting from not telling us what's going on? I don't know. It raises the specter of whether of whether we know who the members of our government are and what their agenda might be and how much about them we don't know. One of my one of our theories is that the government isn't telling us because of the mass hysteria it would cause. Well, that's the first reason that people always cite, but that's conjecture. 
It could also be that these creatures have insinuated themselves into our government and they are guiding it in a direction that they favor and we may or may not favor. And they don't want the American people to even suspect what's going on. So you think there's a possibility that our government is being run by extraterrestrials? I think there's a possibility, but I have I emphasize in the next breath that I have absolutely no evidence of that. It is a possibility that I allow for, and I'm a little surprised that other people have not kept this possibility in the forefront of their minds. Well, I mean, anything's a possibility, but it just seems I don't I don't know. I guess in my mind I'm I'm personally terrified by the thought of UFOs and extraterrestrials. I'm not so, comfortable with it either. As fascinated as I am, it's a very frightening thing for me. Mm-hmm. I and agree the, with you. We, reading about the Phoenix Lights, there are people that 100% believe that that was a visitation that night. But then there's other people that debunk it. What do you have to say to the people that deny that that was anything more than flares? Or I, would, I say to many other people, the people who deny it are generally the people who have not taken the time to look at the data up closely. For example, do you know, have you read any of my work or seen me on uh, YouTube talk about the Phoenix Lights? I've watched every documentary and I've read everything on your website and I've read everything on the MUFON website. Well, you probably haven't attended one of my uh, public presentations because for the last several years I've been presenting to audiences just how big the one object that hovered over Camelback Mountain for five minutes was. It hovered over the head of Mrs. Susan Watson and four of her seven children. Um, And she estimates that when this object hovered over her and her children, it subtended an arc of 135 degrees above her head. That's been measured, by the way, from her estimate. And at that time, we know from a U.S. Air Force airman who was stationed at Luke Air Force Base that night, that at that moment, when it subtended an arc of 135 degrees, it was 9,000 feet above them. If you do the trigonometry, that translates to a craft that was eight and a quarter miles from wingtip to wingtip. So that by itself, if we can trust the data, and you'd have to see my data to understand what I'm talking about here, Uh, if we can trust the data, we were dealing and were intercepting that night with U.S. Air Force fighters, craft that were more than eight miles in width. Uh, That raises the question that tends to prove that they were not from our planet, because how would you build an aircraft that is eight and a quarter miles from wingtip to wingtip? Where would you store it? Where? How would you even fly it? We don't have the technology to fly something like that. 
Exactly. And that is one of several aspects of the Phoenix Lights event. Are you willing to concede that it could have been anything else, considering you didn't see it yourself? I'm willing to consider all possibilities, but um, I haven't seen any come forward that are really gratifying and that take everything that I know about the event into account. A lot of people close their eyes to some of the data in order to promote their own theories. Well, what... What is your theory as to why this happened in 1997 and there has not been any further contact of that magnitude again? You're going to have to ask the government that. You're asking me to speak on behalf of the government, and I cannot do that. Do you think the government had some kind of contact with the alien craft? I don't know. Is that one of your theories? You'll have to contact the government. Well, the government won't talk about it. We both know that. Well, then, if you if they won't talk about it with you, they certainly won't talk about it with me. So neither one of us knows the answer to that question. Do you think that we'll ever get to the point where the government will tell the public what? I has... I don't know. I don't predict future events at all. Well. But do you see any change in the horizon of the way that they're? I mean, during the 40s and 50s and even before that, there was no concession. There was absolutely no discussing it. But oh, nowadays, do you think that it's it's becoming more open or you think it was more open back then? No, I disagree. During the 40s and 50s, there was open discussion about flying saucers. Uh, the Roswell... I believe it's the Roswell Record, is the newspaper in Roswell, New Mexico, had a front-page splash headlines that the Army had had uh, captured a saucer, captured or recovered a saucer. So people were talking about this phenomenon much more openly, much more frequently, I suspect, than they are today. I'm speaking of UFOs now, of course. I didn't, I thought that it had, I didn't know that. I guess, I guess I kind of felt like it was more of a closed thing before, and now people are more willing to accept the fact that we're not alone in the universe. No, I don't believe that's the case, but we'd have to measure it somehow, and I don't know how to do that. Out of the calls, you were saying that 90% of the phone calls that you get are crank calls. But you, does that mean that like 10% are valid claims of UFO sightings? Again, you're asking me to to make decisions about this. I don't know. Uh, all I can say is anywhere between 80 and 90% of the calls placed to my hotline are overtly crank or prank calls made by young impudent, rude, oftentimes foul-mouthed young people, young Americans, who don't but the, They have a, a $1,000 telephone, but they don't have a nickel's worth of brains or two cents worth of concern for the welfare of another person. So that means that anywhere between 10 to 20% are claims of sightings that you investigate? No, we don't investigate anything. You don't. Tell me what you, you take the reports then. We are a clearinghouse, a conduit for UFO sighting reports. That's what we do. 
And then what do you do with those reports? We put them on our website. Have you been to our website yet? I have. I've Yeah, I've looked at extensively and read so many of the, the different reports and transcripts on there. And then do you work with MUFON at all? Once in a while we do. But not and all... Not all sighting reports telephoned to our hotline or really warrant much follow-up investigation. People claim to see a light in the distance. There's nothing a person can do to investigate that in depth. They, because it's gone already. Yeah, it's gone, and it would take a, an immense amount of resource in terms of both time and treasury to try to find other people who saw the same thing. And then at the end of your investigation, it might turn out it was a landing light on an aircraft. So not every UFO report from the citizenry of this country really warrants a follow-up investigation. We're going to pause right here for a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Has there been anything close to what was seen the night of March 13th, 1997? Oh, yes. The, the same design. The same design, are you saying? Of the craft, yes. So I'm having been... a hard time understanding you. Are you on speakerphone again? I am not, no. Oh, okay. I would not do that to you again, I promise. Okay. Um, uh, has, there, has there been other valid reports of crafts that looked like the ones that they saw on March 13th, 1997? Sure. Tens of thousands. They're all on our website. I didn't see. I saw a whole bunch of it. I didn't see any that specifically, other than in 2007 and 2008, there are additional sightings in the same area of the same type of thing. Are you saying have there been other sightings in Phoenix? In other states of the same thing. Oh, well, of the same thing, it's hard to know because... Uh, until we can capture one of these objects and put it on a laboratory bench and unscrew the top and look on the inside of it, uh, it's hard for us to say it was the same thing. People always ask that, particularly eyewitnesses. They want to know if anybody's ever seen exactly what they saw. The problem is we didn't see what they saw or anybody else saw, so it's hard to say whether it's the same thing. The example I use is if you go to San Francisco and see a yellow Volkswagen, and a year and a half later you go to New York City and see a yellow Volkswagen, is it the same yellow Volkswagen? It's hard to know. They look alike, they look similar, but they might in fact be two separate, distinct cars. I guess what I was, I guess what I was curious about is that the event of in 1997 was such a huge event, and it was very specific in regards to the lights and the shape of the craft. Yes. And I was just curious if there were other sightings of that exact same thing, sort of in a continuous way that we would know that this was something that's visiting us on a regular basis, or is everybody seeing something different? Again, it's hard for me to make that decision. It would be hard for the actual eyewitness to decide whether it's exactly the same thing. People see chevrons and triangles and disks all the time, and that's evident from the data on our website. We can, you, 
visitor to our website, ufocenter.com, can sort the data by the location of the incident, by the time of the incident, when the incident was posted to our website, and number four, the type of object seen. And there are categories that include disk and chevron and triangle and light and so on and so forth. But to be able to say they're exactly the same thing would be rather difficult. What do you want people to if, – if there are people out there that believe in what you're saying and believe that the government should come clean, what can they do to help you? Well, they can report their sightings. My estimate is that out of somewhere between 10,000 and 20,000 Americans, adult, competent, clear-thinking Americans who see a UFO, only one out of somewhere between 10,000 and 20,000 people will ever make a call to an organization like MUFON or the National UFO Reporting Center to report that sighting. So the appeal I would make to our audience is if they've ever seen a UFO at any time during their lifetime, that is a reportable event. And I would like them, irrespective of whether they remember the the uh, date and time, I would invite them to uh, submit a report, even just a one-paragraph report, so that data gets preserved and can be used in relationship to other sightings from the same location or and or the same date. I I read a lot about um, Dr. Lynn Kitai. Lynn Kitai. Yes. Who yes. did she? She's actually dedicated a majority of her life now after witnessing the Phoenix Lights to studying UFOs. Yeah, I know her well. Is she believed? I watched one of the documentaries where she said she felt peaceful and that she felt peaceful, that whatever was going on was not here to hurt us or frighten us. Do you think that's a valid statement or is that just a wishful I'd thinking? Have, I'd have to look at her data, but I I don't know. I read an early copy of her book, but I don't know what has led her to that conclusion. I would have to hear her line of reasoning that's led her to that conclusion. Yeah, she said that during one of the interviews I watched, she had said that she felt that it was peaceful and it was calming and that it was not a bad thing or wasn't an a pending attack. And I felt like maybe that was wishful thinking. The problem with that statement, as I see it, is I, I don't know what data she may have, but it certainly flies in the face of the Todd C's case. Are you familiar with the Todd C's case on our on our website. I can you remind me which one that is? Is that the 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 of abduction the morning, story? Of the what? Uh, is that an abduction story? Yes, the man okay. was allegedly, according to allegedly four witnesses, a man was taken up off a mountaintop in Pennsylvania. This is on Sunday morning, the 24th of August 2002. You can read all of the reports on our website. Okay. He was seen taken up a shaft of light into the 
ventral surface of a disc-shaped craft hovering above him and above the mountaintop, and he was seen taken into that craft. A manhunt of amounting to 200 or 250 people was mounted, and they didn't find him that Sunday. They continued it on Monday, the next day. Later that night, his son found human remains hanging in heavy underbrush or a tree at about 7.20, I think it was, p.m. that night. And tragically, those human remains turned out to be his late father. And allegedly, the remains were so grossly mutilated that the son was unable to positively identify the remains as being those of his missing father. So if that was an alien-related abduction and mutilation, um, that's not a very heartwarming scenario for human beings. There was another abduction story out of Arizona. I think the last name was Watkins where he and his co-workers witnessed a bright light and went to investigate, and he was abducted. And his friend, his co-workers were actually accused of harming him because he disappeared, oh, and five days Travis later was Walton. found. Travis Walton yeah. case. Walton, yes. And that was in Arizona. And he was brought back safely, if you believe his version of events. November 5th, 1975, yes. That was way before the Phoenix Lights. Yes. But that was not a violent abduction story at all. That was... I I don't... I'm not in a position to be able to debate whether they're good or bad. We just don't know. We, I'm engaged with the question of whether the UFO phenomenon is real and whether the data we're hearing is real. And... Once we've established that, we can move on to other aspects of the uh, phenomenon. Have you seen the article about the five bulls? Yes. Uh, Hereford bulls? Yes. Uh, that, that wasn't a human abduction or mutilation, but if it's UFO-related, and that's a big if, uh, they certainly don't. These aliens, if they were involved in that, animal mutilation certainly don't care about the economic welfare of the owners of those animals who have not been reimbursed for the damages they sustained. So I guess the bottom line about unidentified flying objects or any visitation from other galaxies is that we just still in the existence of mankind, we still don't know. We still don't know. We don't certainly don't know the details. I would say based on the volume of reports and based on the high quality of some of the witnesses involved in those reports, there's little remaining doubt, at least in my mind, but what we are being visited by these things we call UFOs. I think it is not unreasonable to assume that these craft are piloted by intelligent creatures. And I believe they're from other parts of our galaxy. If they're creatures who can travel between galaxies, 
an immensely large distance, I am thoroughly impressed by their technology. Can I ask you a personal question? Uh-huh. If you were given the opportunity to have one thing happen, would you choose to have, I guess, UFOs or creatures as you're calling them, confront you in person like like you'll have absolute confirmation yourself that it is real and that it does happen or do you want the government to uh, note like or would you rather the government come clean if your choices were for you personally to have validation of what you believe and what you found and what your data has said or would you prefer for the government to come clean with the entire public well, I don't know it's one whether it's one or A or B. I'd like to have both occur. And until the government starts telling us the truth about this phenomenon, I'm as suspicious of the government and the people in it who lie about this phenomenon as I am suspicious of the presumed alien creatures who are visiting visiting our planet. Is there any chance in your mind that it's just as simple as the government being afraid of frightening the American public? Your phone is very bad and it's cutting out, so I got only half of that. Do you, can it be just as simple that the government is just afraid of causing mass hysteria? That it's it's not some kind Again, of conspiracy? I don't know. I, people have been watching UFO-related cartoons for decades and they haven't panicked yet. Uh, I'm worried about what they, what the citizens of this country will think when, if and when, senior leaders of the U.S. government finally confess that they've known about the UFO phenomenon since the 1940s and have made the decision not to share that information with the American people. That is inappropriate in a totalitarian state, I guess you would expect that to occur. In a country like ours in which the government allegedly is representative of the citizens' interests, uh, this is totally unacceptable. We have a unique government. Those people have a special responsibility to us to share with us what is going on, what they think is going on. Did the, I had read somewhere that the Navy just recently announced that they were investigating unidentified flying objects, but they weren't calling them that. They were calling them something else. Your phone is acting up. Makes it I'm so sorry. And recent, I'm so sorry. Recently, the, the Navy came out saying that the government was investigating unidentified flying objects. Yes, well, if they were going to tell the truth, they would talk about the U.S. Naval Space Surveillance System that defended the southern tier of the United States using passive radar. But they haven't done that. So it suggests to me that this revelation about the pilots, after all, they've released only one case, possibly two. The case in November of 2004 off San Diego. Why did it take them so long? Why did it take them 15 years to share this information with the American people if it's so important? And there was another case they talked about from, I think, the year 2014. But 
the Naval Space Surveillance Radar System, which has been in operation, continuous operation, from the 1950s, when we first uh, dabbled in our uh, in going to space, they've no doubt detected many, many UFOs if they're real. So why they haven't talked about the Naval Space Surveillance System, I don't know. And you can read about it uh, in my paper on the subject of using passive radar to detect UFOs, which has been posted to my website for the last 15 years. Tell me again the na how people would get to your website. It's the National... National UFO Reporting Center, and the website address is just ufocenter.com. Very simple. Not and you, word. you mentioned earlier that you, you have speaking engagements. Do you have a speaking yeah. engagement coming Your up? cell phone battery is failing. Sorry, you said... You mentioned earlier that you had you speaking engagement. When is your next? Mm. I understand what you're saying. You mentioned earlier that you have speaking engagements. Oh yes, speaking engagements. Yes. When is your next one? Is there anything coming up people can see you at? Well, I make an annual trek to McMinnville, Oregon, usually the second weekend of May, and I may be there again next year. Uh, but I've had three or four in speaking engagements over the last uh, several months. One was in Colorado Springs at the Mile High Mystery Conference, and I put on a talk about the Phoenix Lights and about a few other uh, dramatic cases. But I have speaking engagements when I'm invited to speak. That's, there's nothing that is... The best way for people to... The best way for people to know what you're up to and if they want to see you is to follow you on your is follow your website. Yeah, I would say that's the best uh, conduit of information. Uh, we have 123,000 UFO reports on that website. I would counsel them to read some of the reports, plan to spend a little time. If they really, really want to know what's going on and they want primary data, not people's opinions, I would urge them to go to our website and uh, read some of the cases there. Thank you for doing this with me. I know it's been difficult. My phone is bad. I'm sitting in my closet currently, hoping that would help for you to hear me. <laughs> Thank you Good so for much you. for doing this with me. I'm so sorry that you get so many prank phone calls. Oh, thank you. I it it's an interesting statement on the american people and modern day parenting and it raises the question of what real progress is i mean if you ask people are cell phones progress they most people would say oh yeah they're progress look you can communicate with anybody now but if it leads to inducing large numbers of american youth to use the technology to inconvenience other people and they become sociopaths in the process, I question whether it's real, pro what I would call real progress at all. It no. has the illusion of progress. But right. until parents and grandparents start supervising their children and grandchildren's use of telephones, 
this problem is going to continue. I'm so sorry. I that the YouTube video was inappropriate and I'm sorry that you have to deal with that. Do you have yeah. any final thoughts on the Phoenix light? Um just that it was the most dramatic dramatic you as I've mentioned, most dramatic UFO event in the history of ufology. And if President Bill Clinton didn't know about UFOs up until that night, he certainly did the next morning. And okay. he is, uh, I should probably send him a letter and encourage him to share with the American people what he knows on the subject. That would be nice, wouldn't it? It would. Can I tell you It'd something, be... though? Say again, please. Can I tell you something? Oh, yes, of course. If I lived in Phoenix during the Phoenix Lights, I would have been hiding under my bed. I would not have been taking pictures. I would not have been standing there in awe. I would have been cowering in a corner crying like a baby. Yeah. I have similar thoughts, but I'm astonished by how blasé and uh, how equanimical people were as they stood under an object that was eight miles from wingtip to wingtip. They were... Uh, not upset by it. They were intri intrigued by it. And uh, they they didn't panic at all. This answers one of your earlier questions. Would people panic? I don't think so. Unless they were physically attacked or harmed, I don't think they would panic at all. Maybe interested? Yeah. More interested than panicked, I would say. I'm I'm leaning more towards I would be the panicked one. <laughs> I'd be terrified. Thank you so much for doing. I'm so sorry that our connection hasn't been as good. I tried really hard. I'm honestly sitting between my clothes and my closet right now, hoping that it would be easier for you. And I will spend even more time on your website. It's sort of a rabbit hole for me because I start reading and then I can't get off. Yeah. It's grossly out of date, but it should be updated by tomorrow. I'm in okay. the process of reading 1,400 newly received reports, which should be posted to our website Sunday morning. Okay, well, I this episode will air on my um, podcast this coming Tuesday, and I will send you a link so that you can listen to it. I'd love to listen to it. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Interview, Thanks for and I'll stay, I'll, I'll, stay, I'll stay in touch because when I have questions, I want someone to ask to answer for me, although I'll be scared to ask them. And I'll be more terrified of the answer. I'm still going to ask. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Okay. Good night. Pleasure working with you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Bye. Good night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to follow and comment on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. And remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.